Produced in one of the world's longest-running distilleries, Belvedere Vodka is the world's finest all-natural vodka. Part of a 600-year Polish vodka-making tradition, Belvedere is made with non-GMO Polish rye, pure water, and no additives. Recognized for quality, Belvedere was named the ISC World Vodka Producer of the Year in 2015, 2016, and 2017. Enjoy a delicious cocktail with Belvedere Vodka today, and remember to always drink responsibly. Welcome to this week's episode of the JJ Reddick Podcast. Um, I feel like I've had a pretty fortuitous season as a 76er. Earlier in the season, we traded for Jimmy Butler, who was an awesome guest on the pod. And recently, we traded for Tobias Harris, amongst a few other players. And Tobias was uh, gracious enough to come on the podcast. And uh, I want to just get right to my conversation with new Philadelphia 76er, Tobias Harris. Right, we're going to start in a random place today because I haven't recorded a pod in a few weeks. And over the last month, I've watched both of the documentaries on Fire Festival. I believe that the Hulu one was Fire Fraud and the Netflix one was maybe just Fire Festival with a tagline. I can't remember. Have you seen both of them? I've seen both. Yeah. And they're both amazing. <laughs> I told you this at dinner the other night. I want 10 more hours of content. I need I need, I need follow-ups. I need everything. I need to know. I need my man to have a crew while he's in jail. I need to know what he's thinking. I had a kick watching it because, you know, that's in New York. That guy's in New York. I've seen a lot of those people that were in the film. And, you know, I even had some people telling me that I should go to Fire Festival when it was getting <laughs> talked about. But I was like, definitely not. And after seeing it, I was like, wow. The amount of people that were played in that film, it was like, it's just mind-blowing to me, to be honest. What was the most ridiculous part? <laughs> ja Rule at the end. <laughs> ja Rule. <laughs> I thought Ja Rule at the end. You know, they're having that end of the disaster meeting, and one of the people on the team is like, you know, this is, this is fraud. And he's like, it's not fraud. It's just false advertisement. I just started cracking up when I heard him say it. I was like, wow. I think the most ridiculous part to me was in the Netflix one when he, he gets out on bail. Oh, and he's still And then it. he hires a camera crew to document <laughs> his next scam. Yeah. And in the Hulu one, when he sits down for the interview and they're like, has anyone ever called you a compulsive liar? And he's I like, I have not lied today. Tell me, show me something I lied today. And then they start like the montage of all the lies <laughs> all he told lies. that day. Uh, man, it was just to see the way that was operated. I, I felt bad for all the people that were working out there. For that sure. Were putting that together that for sure. probably haven't got paid at all. And then, and then this guy who was just out here scheming the world happens more than you think. Do you think that this is, this is like a major indictment, I think, on millennial culture and what is your generation are you a millennial or are you generation z what are you yeah i wouldn't I, i'm not even putting myself in the millennial category to be honest <laughs> i don't want to put myself in the no. millennial category but, but one of us is in there yeah i mean i'm born in 92 so whatever 
I think ninety five. Oh, so yeah, yeah. I, I just so missed made it, the thankfully. cutoff by three years. But let's also discuss Fire Festival would have been epic if it was done the way it should have been done. I agree with you, but here's the thing. So, because <laughs> I feel like I know people, not a ton of people, but I know people like Billy McFarland. For sure. You know, they have yeah. these ideas. They're idea people, right? Yeah. But when it comes to the actual logistical execution of an idea, they just don't carry their weight. 100%. The perfect example of this, which was the part to me that's just so mind-blowing, is that the guy orders like $2 million worth of booze and doesn't realize yeah. that there's a 45% duty tax on the booze. For sure. So and he has no money to pay that tax to get it out of customs. Yeah. It's just that type of stuff is just it's just wild to me. It's like you shouldn't be the man operating this. Yeah. No doubt. I had a friend in Austin whose company does high-level music festivals, mm -hmm. Lollapalooza being one of them. And, you know, those guys, I mean, had, now have it down to a science, but the amount of logistical work that yeah. is required that's in a place like Chicago, much less another country on an island with no infrastructure. Nothing. It's wild. <laughs> it's wild. All right, we're going to get to the, the meat of it. I, think, right. I feel like it's inevitable that we became teammates. For I, sure. I mean, this, we've this tra I want to trace your journey. I want <laughs> yeah. you to trace your journey. So you start in Milwaukee. We were traded for each other. We were, yes, we My were. My seventh year in Orlando. I get traded in Milwaukee. You go to Orlando. You play well in Orlando. You you get your second contract. Then you get traded to Detroit mm -hmm. where you're playing for Stan Van Gundy. And uh, a bunch of my old mates are, yeah. are in the front office there. And then you get traded right after I leave the Clippers. You get to traded right. to the Clippers and you're playing for Doc. And and, and obviously the staff and, and a few of the teammates were the same. Mm -hmm. and, and now we're here and now in we're Philly here. together. Finally, six, six years later. <laughs> it's, it's crazy. I forgot where I was, but I was telling somebody, it's like my first trade. So like all trades, they happen and they hit you. And for me now, it's kind of, it's just like every trade deadline is like, okay, something may go down, you know? So like this trade happened a little bit before. So I was just like, it did stun me a little bit because it was right after a game. Usually, you know, I would be in my house, wherever I'm at. But my first trade, the one that I was traded for you, was weird because it was like I got traded to a situation where you were the guy that the Bucks were looking at to help bring to the playoffs and exceed there. I was a guy that was kind of like just filled in of young talent, so to say. And then my next trade from Orlando to Detroit was I was that guy who was looked at to bring to Detroit to help bring them to the playoffs. So it was kind of like full circle with those two trades. And then it kind of happened again where Detroit to LA, it was like, you know, they trade in Blake Griffin, want to get off and want to get their cap space and whatever they have in mind. And then this trade is like, now I'm in a trade where I'm the person to help this team win a championship. So it's like, there's like full circle of the NBA. Twice. Twice, right? But it's also like, you know, it's part of the game. I think every situation that I've been in, I've been able to learn something that has brought me to today and to help me be the player that I am and the teammate that I am. So I'm grateful for all of them. It's a lot to be traded, though. That yeah. many times. It's a lot. Yeah. Eight, it was eight seasons. Yeah, this is my eighth year. So it has been a lot of trades. But when you got traded to us, it happened like basically in the middle of the night. Mm-hmm. And I was sick that day. I went home, left the arena. We were playing 
Toronto and I woke up at like four or five in the morning and I had a bunch of text messages. So I was like, oh, something, something just happened. Yeah. And within like the first 24 hours, I had probably five or six people from the Clippers reach out to me and be like, hey, take care of Tobias. Mm-hmm. You know, he's one of the all time like good guys. You know what I mean? And I, the thing I found really interesting about that was like, you know, the human part of us as players, like, you know, we always have to perform on the court, but you go to a place and like, if you're invested in that place and you're yourself, you're naturally going to build these relationships. Yeah. And it's like the second, the second you feel like you have a relationship built, like yeah. the, the business side of the NBA just takes over and, and you're gone. I don't know if it's hurtful or frustrating, but I, w- I would assume that that part of it's hard to deal with. I would say that would be like probably the most frustrating part because like, I don't think people understand how much time like we spend around each other. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, they, pro- you know, a lot of people from the outside looking at them just like, oh, they probably get on the bus, they go to a plane and they're at the arena playing a game together. But every organization, every team, you're a part of, you're around these people so much that they become like family to you, especially when you treat people the right way and you go about your business the right way. Every trade that happens, you're like, dang, I'm just, I'm leaving. Like people I've seen every day for like the past six months. And then you're going into a brand new situation where you got to make new relationships, new, you know, new people, new teammates. And that is probably the most frustrating thing for me in the trade is like, dang, I'm about to really pack up and I got to go bond and and get with new people when you're so invested in the team that you were originally part of. And then part of you is just like, well, not that you want to burn those relationships, but when you're in a new situation, you have to be locked in to the new team, the new staff that you, it's just hard to communicate with the old staff that you are part of and your old teammates. So, you know, and you want to always keep that competitive, competitive grit and grind too. You've been lucky though, because the last two times you've been traded, you got traded with your best friend. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so Bobby and Toby. The Bobby and Toby. This is show. real, by the way. This, this is, is a real thing. Like we've talked about this off yeah. the court, and you're like, no, no, no. He really is my best friend. For sure. Like he really is. I mean, you know, we're talking about Boban. We're talking yeah, about yeah, Boban, yeah, yeah. The, yeah. the legend. You've been around him for two weeks now, and you can see um, how great of a guy he is and uh, how funny he is and easy to be around. And so when we were in Detroit, we had a good group of guys who would go out dinner and things like that. And then when we had got traded, me, Boban, and Avery, we were pretty much all together because we were in a new environment, new city. And we had done a little little bit of things on social media, and then people came to us with bigger ideas. So that like it just improved our friendship from that day on. And, you know, now it's to the point where he's like, he's a legend. Like, you know, I said it when we were in L.A., he's really like, like really, really famous. Like anywhere he's walking, any yeah. like place we go into, it's like all the attention is drawn to him. And I'm cool because I'm just in the back like, hey, you want me to take a picture of y'all? Sure. Like, let's go. Yeah. You know what I mean? But he embraces it, though. He will talk to every fan, take a picture with everybody and... Like, he loves it, for sure. I would say he is one of the nicest human beings, most genuine, gentle human beings yeah. I've ever been around. Without a doubt. Who's, who's, who do you think uh, are better friends? You and, and Bobby or uh, TJ and JJ? Bobby and Toby or TJ and JJ? Uh, <laughs> you, you and TJ are very good friends. I'm starting to see that, like, today when 
you know, you guys are like telling each other secrets. I was like, damn. <laughs> telling like, each other secrets. <laughs> I kind of got jealous. I was like, well, well, how come we don't tell secrets like that? <laughs> honestly, I'm going to say you guys, you guys may be up there with us, honestly. There was a, a formal poll done. We did like a second media day for like the playoffs. Mm-hmm. And they asked every guy like the biggest bromance on the team. Yeah. And it was pretty much unanimous that it was me and TJ. You and TJ for sure. I, yeah. I never vote for myself in those sort of things. But in this case, I made an exception and I voted for myself. <laughs> I think that I think this year that may, that may be changed. Don't take this the wrong way. But are you like at all like worried that you've gotten traded so much? Or like what? Like what I'm sure you've done enough self-reflection. You're an intelligent yeah. guy. Like, why do you think that you've been traded? So, like, yeah, when you get traded that that many times, you start to really reflect, like, okay, what's going on? But I know why a lot of those trades have happened. I mean, the first trade from Milwaukee was to get a player that can help a team. And honestly, and, that trade benefited you a yeah, tremendous amount. I mean, you went to Orlando yeah. right away and, and it was we're a, getting buckets. Yeah, like it was one. a good situation yeah. to go into, like a young team to kind of progress as a player. So I think, you know, that trade happened for that's one team looking at it as, um, hey, we're going to bring in JJ and help us make the playoffs. And when that trade happened, I was hoping you guys lose every game. But then I <laughs> <laughs> no offense. We almost did. <laughs> we almost did. I always, I'm always like, yeah, I've made the playoffs every year in my career, but the year in Milwaukee, we were 37 and 45. Like, it's, it it's was like crazy. there's an asterisk next to that, year, right? For sure. Um, and then from Orlando to Detroit was one where I was like, I was like, dang, because I had just signed a deal. We got off to a good start, and then we kind of, you know, we kind of fell. But there was, um, there was a lot of confusion with management and coaching. And that's when, that was the year that like Scott Skiles had basically coached us and then like was fired or, or kind of left like after the year ended. So there was just a lot going on there. And that was, Orlando was basically saying that they wanted to free up cap space also. So, you know, I think uh, like that trade right there was because we weren't winning enough games, so to say. So it was like, okay, like, you know, Tobias, you're the guy to go. And from Detroit to L.A., that was a situation where the, that was like, you know, it was a trade for a very good player. Blake is playing great over there. And it just um, it, it just happened where I was playing very good basketball at, at that time last year where it was kind of like you're the best asset to be traded over. So a lot of the trades happen, and I, I sit back and I'm like, dang, why, why I'm getting traded? But when you're like on some teams where you may be the key asset for another team and to make a move, you know, it kind of just happens like that. Right. So you can't take it personal. And, you know, I don't take it personal. I just keep on moving on. I think that's been the biggest thing for me. Like a lot of guys go into different situations. And their minds are all messed up on like, why I'm getting traded, why I'm getting traded. I try to look at the positives of every new situation that I'm in. And um, no, I'm doing that with this one too, and I'm happy. Some of it is probably just bad luck. I think some of it is bad luck. And also, like you you just said it, like I I think if you look at it and you're a younger player on what is now with the cap space, like it's a team-friendly deal, right? For sure, yeah. Um, In your introductory press conference with the Sixers, you mentioned one of the 
sort of the key things for you going forward in your career with regards to this summer and free agency is loyalty. Mm-hmm. And, and obviously, you know, I can kind of guess as to what you meant by that, but, but what exactly did you mean by that? Why is that so important to you? It's important to me, you know, because as we've been talking about, I've been traded numerous <laughs> times, no you know, but, it's, yeah, but what does that, what does that mean though? Because like, is there loyalty in the NBA? Like it, on, 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 from players and from, from teams, like is, does that even exist? Not, I don't think it really exists. Like people may want it, like loyalty in a relationship. You know what I'm saying? Like, yeah. but like, I think it exists when like things are going good. Like you would expect some loyalty there, but if a team is losing and there's always pressure in yeah. any type of NBA situation. So you got to, like, as a player, you have to realize that too. Like, you know, when I was traded from Orlando, I was like, well, you know, you kind of got traded because y'all weren't a playoff team. If you were a playoff team, you may not have been traded. You know what I mean? But when I say loyalty, I kind of just mean, you know, team-wise, that it's a great fit with all the guys. Uh, Coaching-wise and system-wise, a great system where we're going out there, we're having fun and playing together. And then the loyalty of just understanding that, listen, I'm invested in this team, this city, yeah. um, the organization, I just would like that same respect onto me as a player. You know what I mean? And shoot, if if it, if it was my way, I would have, when I'm in a good situation where I feel is right and I feel, you know, it's a chance to win and, and to win big, I'm all in. Like I, I've been all in in every situation that I've been in. I think that's also a reason why when I've been able to get traded, I've been able to do well because I look at myself as, okay, like I'm I'm in this new situation. I'm going to make the best of it and I'm going to play like I'm going to want to end my career here. So that's yeah. how I go into a lot of all these situations. We, you and I both played for Stan and we both played for Doc. Yeah. Um, no coach is perfect. For but, sure. But both those guys have some really good strengths. What mm-hmm. do you think is is the greatest strength of Stan and the greatest strength of, of Doc? I thought the greatest strength of uh, Stan was um, his structure of, okay, you knew we're going to come in, we're going to get to work. You knew game time, you better be in that locker room when 35 hits. You know, you knew uh, what plays you were running. It, it, Stan was, I, I thought, uh, very, very organized in his approach into uh, his shoot-arounds, very focused on a lot of details, like little details that I feel like on um, on winning teams you have to have, and I respected that. Now, um, with Doc, one thing that I, I liked a lot about Doc was just the way that he was able to let guys be themselves, yeah. be who they wanted yeah. to be. I thought he did a, a good, very good job with just controlling, like, you know, everybody talks about ego, this, ego, that, but just controlling the narrative of the egos and like, look, like, you know, and the team that we had this year was, we got to play together. We got to play the right way and we got to, we need one another. Mm-hmm. So I thought you did a very good job of just letting you be who, who you are, but also knowing that you need the team around you. So yeah. that's what uh, I learned from both of them. But I went from Stan, you know, in Detroit where we was practicing to like all the time and then to LA where we didn't practice much and I was like, Dang, this is different. But then I got kind of used to it. Where I was like, okay, like, you know, you feel pretty good when your body is rested up and you're able to go. I sometimes think that one of the reasons I'm I'm able to like keep playing 
at a, at a decently high level at this age is because I did, did, didn't practice for four years. For sure, when I, yeah. when I played in LA. Yeah. Um, but my thing with Stan was similar to what you were saying is like just the attention to detail. Mm-hmm. And that carried over to my career. Like I, I look back and where I was going into my second year, my first year with Stan, had I not played for him for five years, I wouldn't be the player I am. Yeah. And I learned that professionalism, that attention to detail, the importance of structure. I carried it mm-hmm. in my own life. Um, Doc's, I think, adaptability to coach each team a little differently yeah. and sort of bring out the best uh, in each of his players, I think, you know, and, and his ATOs, which we've talked his about. ATOs are, uh, <laughs> his ATOs are great. <laughs> really good. <laughs> yeah. All right. We're going to take a quick break to hear from our sponsor. With two-thirds of guys experiencing noticeable hair loss by age 35, most guys assume losing their hair is inevitable as they age. Some don't care. Some shave their head. Some embrace hats. But what they don't know is that there are FDA-approved medications designed to stop hair loss and even regrow hair. That's why we're excited to partner with our sponsor, Roman. Roman makes it easy to get safe, FDA-approved hair loss treatment, all from your phone or computer. And when you go to GetRoman.com slash Reddick, your online visit is free. Consult with a U.S. licensed physician through secure online platform. No awkward conversations with receptionists or reading bad magazines in the waiting rooms. Once your doctor ensures that treatment will be safe and effective for you, Roman's dedicated pharmacy can ship your medication to you with free two-day shipping in discreet packaging. If you're noticing unwanted hair loss, starting treatment early is key, and Roman can help. And today, Roman is giving the JJ Reddick podcast listeners a free online visit at getroman.com slash Reddick. That's getroman.com slash R-E-D-I-C-K, getroman.com slash Reddick for a free visit to get started. Go to getroman.com slash Reddick. You know what's not smart? Job boards that send you a mile-high stack of resumes to sort through. But you know what is smart? Going to ZipRecruiter.com slash Reddick to hire the right person. Unlike other job sites, ZipRecruiter finds qualified candidates for you. Its powerful matching technology scans thousands of resumes to identify people with the right skills, education, and experience, and actively invites them to apply to your job, so you get qualified candidates fast. That's why ZipRecruiter is rated number one by employers in the U.S. This rating comes from hiring sites on Trustpilot with over 1,000 reviews. Right now, my listeners can try ZipRecruiter for free at this exclusive web address, ZipRecruiter.com slash Reddick. If you love this show, show your support to it and ZipRecruiter by going to ZipRecruiter.com slash R-E-D-I-C-K. That's ZipRecruiter.com slash Reddick. ZipRecruiter, the smartest way to hire. And now back to my conversation with Tobias Harris. Um, all right, we're going to interrupt some basketball talk. I'm going to give you, uh, we're going to do two power rankings. Okay. Okay. We're going to save one power ranking for the end. We're going to do, we're going to interrupt and do one power ranking right now. So you, we've talked about, we're both foodies. Yeah. We both enjoy good restaurants. So your, your power rankings, your top three food destinations on the road so your favorite three restaurants on the road i for this for the point of this i'm not going to include philadelphia okay i also live in brooklyn so i'm not going to include new york in my power rankings but what are your three my top three wow so chicago has this burger spot called Cheval, which is amazing that would be you know anytime in chicago it's like all right 
Got to go there. L.A., I'm going to go with, when I was out there, I went to a restaurant called Otium, which is, I think, like, it's in, like, the downtown area of L.A., which was amazing also. And there's a breakfast spot in Portland. It's, I think it's Cafe Dewberry or whatever, something like that. <laughs> I've never been. So it's one brand. Uh, but that that's uh, another spot that I'm at. And that would be my three. And then there's another, like, Mediterranean place in in Portland too that has some good food. Portland has some good restaurants. I would I would say so. Portland's yeah. like maybe a top five food city in the in the country. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I, I would so. say this though too is like I don't enjoy. I don't want to say I don't enjoy it, but I don't love New Orleans food the way some people do. Okay. Like Charleston, South Carolina would be another place that some some people would argue maybe is a top five food city. I don't necessarily enjoy. So you don't Charleston like spices. Food. No, 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 no. Ah. No. I mean, no, maybe I just don't like Southern cooking. Oh. <laughs> yeah. Come on, man. Uh, my, so my three, though, are, uh, have you been to Il Gabbiano in Miami? Mm-hmm. You haven't been to Il Gabbiano? No, and I forgot to put Prime on 12 because their food is fire, yeah. too. Um, what, what type of food is that? Il Gabbiano is uh, Italian. Italian. So it's yeah. like these brothers. They came over from Italy, and uh, I think they're like, they were the original guys behind Il Molino. They sold... Uh, sort of the, their okay. their steak in El Molino, uh, but it's right on right on the bay, right over there in uh, in Brickle, Giorgio Baldi in L.A. Have you been there? No. Nope. Do you even eat Italian food? Yes, I do. <laughs> but you know what? See, like all these you places, have an Italian spot in L.A. How do you not like you've not been to Baldi? You you lived there a year and a half. No, I haven't been there. All right. My third is actually it's in New Orleans, which it's I know I just said I don't like New Orleans food. Yeah, it's a very specific reason. That's Koshan. And they have these wood uh, wood grilled oysters with chili lime butter sauce. Um, How come we didn't go there after the game? It was, they were closed. The place we went, and we're not going to name names, was not very good. It wasn't that honest. good. It, I was, it was like, not, come on. It was not good. We should have went to the other place. Favorite restaurant in New York? So, you know, I, you know, I live in Long Island. so You still make it to the city. But it doesn't matter. I can't give you a... Your favorite, so, so this, your favorite restaurant on Long Island? On Long Island, yeah. I was. I thought you were actually going to say in Long Island, but uh, I take you to the breakfast spot in the summer. It's called Maureen's Kitchen. Okay. Yeah, to die for. Is that in Suffolk County? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> or is it in Nassau uh, County? No, that's in Suffolk. Yeah. It's in Suffolk County. Yeah, it's in Suffolk. It's crazy to me that you grew up in Suffolk County. Yeah. For those that don't know, Suffolk County is also the county where the Hamptons are. <laughs> yeah, it's so it's but the Hamptons is further. It's out, further, out, further out for sure. Further out. For sure. You know, I didn't but find you, out about. But the you Hamptons. basically grew up in the Hamptons. No, no. <laughs> not even close. What are the things about your career uh, that I admire the most? Is this um, the year by year improvement you've had? And I think a lot of times when we think about players that improve, right? We look mm-hmm. for these sort of huge leaps from season to season and it doesn't always work that way, right? There's sometimes yeah. it's just like an in- incremental thing and all of a sudden you go from year one to year eight and you're an all-star caliber player. And that's really, that's really fascinating to me because it takes, there's, there's something sort of internal mm-hmm. that's, that's, that's driving that. And we've talked a little bit about just like that love for the game. Yeah. When I first, I got drafted in the league, I was like, consider this guy with like, if you were to rate all my skills on a on a one through ten scale, like I was like a guy that pretty much all those skills were at like 
you know, anywhere from like a six to a seven, you know what I'm saying? So for me, that was like the opportunity to really have a progression year by year of working on different things to help improve those. And with that type of work and the, the, the opportunity that was presented in different situations, I was able to really um, lock in and master those type of things. So, I mean, I came in the league and people were wondering, you know, he doesn't have a position. You know, that was like a huge yeah. thing when I came in. Like, he's, he doesn't have a position. He's not a three. He's not a four. And, you know, over time, the way NBA is now, it's like, you know, I don't think anybody would say he doesn't have a position, you know? That's actually a, a positive. Yeah, now. exactly. Yeah. Right. Like, when guys come in, it's like, oh, he doesn't have a position. Man, we could play him at the one. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> yeah. it's like, it's all those things. So, I, like the thing for me is I grew up playing basketball, enjoying the game, but I always really love like whenever I can master something or get better at something. So coming in the league as a young kid, um, I got in the weight room early and understood how much better my game could get once my body got better. And then that led to like things on the court. You know, I saw the way I, every every year I evaluate the way the game is going. Like, you know, after my second and third year, I realized like, if you want to play the four, you got to be able to stretch the floor and shoot yeah. the three. And I took a lot of time of watching myself shoot and different videos of how I can become a better three-point shooter. And I think that was the biggest step in my game of once I was able to knock down the shot, space the floor for other guys, that was the real growth of everything else coming into play. And, you know, I give uh, Coach Van Gundy a lot of credit for that because it was right before the season and he just came to me, like, before our training camp. He says, you know, I need you to shoot, like, six to seven threes a game. And I was just like, you know, like, I'm, I'm like, more of a slasher. Like, you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, I was like, I'll yeah. shoot him in my open. He's like, no, no. Like, I need you to shoot six to seven. Like, you got to be willing to – have nights where you're seven for seven and also have nights where you go oh for seven. So that type of confidence, you know, that's like opportunity. Like not many guys get that opportunity. So having that opportunity helped me grow the game each and every year. And which is, you know, been a, you know, a player, I think the most dangerous thing a player can have is opportunity and confidence. And, you know, I've had both of those. Isn't it amazing the threat of a three point shot and what that does to open up the rest of your game? Yeah. It's remarkable. And you've obviously just talked about it, but you've witnessed that like in your own game. Yeah. Like you you can be a slasher, but if you can't shoot, like it's harder to slash. It is. You can be a great one-on-one creator, but you can't shoot a three. It's harder. I know. And um, you can be slow as like me. (laughs) Every now and then you can get to the rim. Exactly. Just because because of of my shot. shot. Yeah. Yeah. And like, that's, that's today's game. And, you know, like, when we're on the floor having the floor space where you, like, you come off pick and rolls and, I mean, come off DHOs and some pick and rolls and some handoffs and you got two guys guarding you. And, like, I'm watching you play and I'm like, man, like, he he shot that three, but, like, he's fading away, like, to the right, like, on some of the threes. I'm like, I'm going to need to work on that. Next time. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, I'm like, I got to work on that. I got to get that shot down. But. The threat of the three-point shot, it just opens up the floor. When we were playing in New Orleans the other day, Ben caught the ball, and he's going coast to coast. And, like, literally, my guy is just, like, guarding me, and you're in a corner, and 
nobody's come off you and you just get a wide open dunk, you know? Yeah. It's a little bit of bad defense, but also like good <laughs> No, but what, like, what do you do in that, in that situation? I remember we played the Spurs like three years ago. We go down there, probably like 20 games in the season. And I had like a, I had a big first quarter, like a big game or whatever. And like, you know, Blake, CP in transition, they would give you open threes, right? Mm-hmm. So we played them the second time and like it was, I guess, on their scouting report, like no transition threes for JJ and like Blake and CP both got the same thing you're talking about. Like literally it'd be a two on one and Danny Green would run at me at the three point line and Blake would just go in and dunk. Yeah. It's wild. Yeah. You know, that's that's the game now. It's like we'll give up the two, but we're not giving up no threes. When did you start playing out of pick and rolls? Was that a doc thing or did you start that your last year in Detroit? That was doc unlock that part of your game. Yeah, no, that actually started. Um, what well, was what well, was funny because when I was in Orlando, you know how you have all these advanced stats. Yeah. So like I was just doing these pick and rolls and scoring and um, and like like either the big was popping and stuff, and then um, you know somebody came up to me. He's like, you know, you're like number one in the NBA in pick and rolls, and I wasn't getting much ran for like. In right. Orlando with pick and rolls. Right. In terms of your volume, it yeah. wasn't, wasn't high. Yeah, right. So I used to be like, you know, I used to be like, hey, you know I'm number one in pick and rolls now. <laughs> like, and they'd be like, huh? And I'm like, yeah, like, you know, so-and-so just told me. So I was pretty good out of them because, like, for me in Orlando, I was just developing the three-point shot. But it was also, I've always had a pretty good mid-range game. So those were where the points per possession were coming from. And then when I got to um, Detroit, and I think the pick and roll game just got better and better once the three point shot was there because now the big has to play up a lot of times. And I had a roller, Andre Drummond. And then when I got to LA, that was when, like, playing with DJ, you know, DJ loves seven pick and rolls going downhill. And Doc put me in a lot of those situations. And we ran a whole lot this year, too. So, uh, uh, yeah, it was like a combination, but it was always something in my game when I first came in the league. That I, that I was working on because that was the game. Like eight years ago, it was pick and rolls, yeah. somebody rolling. Another thing that strikes me about you is your constant uh, your constant hunt for self-improvement. Yeah. Obviously, you know, we're sitting here talking about the evolution of your game and how, how that sort of manifested over the last eight years. But you're a reader. Yeah. Um, you're clearly uh, self-reflective. Yes. Um, where where does that sort of need? I don't I don't know if you're a perfectionist or not, or if there's mm-hmm. OCD here, but like there is clearly I've observed you now for a month. There's yeah. clearly sort of like a pursuit of self improvement that's really important to you. Where does that come from? I think it comes from the whole MBA, the whole job, the whole perception of maybe I know like what people may think of you. I don't really value that as such a big thing, but I value how I treat myself. You know what I'm saying? So I read a lot. Um, now I try to inform myself on a lot of things going on. I feel like in today's age, you can't just be an NBA player. <laughs> like you really can't. I feel like you're doing yourself a disservice if the only thing you want to do is play basketball and just call it a day. Like like the the voice that you have and the platform that you have you have to be informed with so much going on. So like, even like for me, like my finances, I'm informed with that politics. I try to get myself involved into knowing what's going on. I read a lot because 
you know, I know in my own personal life, I grew up, I wasn't a reader, but when I got to the NBA and I had that much time, I was reading different things like online, like different foods that could help me perform better. You know what I'm saying? Like different things I could do in the weight room. And then I started reading just different books on self-help, self-encouragement. And, you know, I'm a Christian, so I live my life in the right way that I can, you know, that I have my, my relationship with God and, and um, you know, that I play this game for God and to give glory to the kingdom. So there's, there's a lot of things that I've been able to get from books and reading to help me as a person. And, you know, at the end of the day, just understanding that, like, you're going out there and you're playing basketball. Like, I, every game I just go out there and I say, let's just have fun. Like, just have fun in, in doing what you're doing and enjoy it. Because I think if you let the game soak up so much of you, yeah. you really will begin to lose the identity yeah. that you have. I was just going to say, there is sort of a fine line in finding that balance. Because mm-hmm. we, were, we were talking the other night at dinner about guys in the NBA that that love to hoop, right? Yeah. Hey, like, I, I love to play. I love the game. I love working on my craft. You're the same way. We've obviously played with guys that are like that. We've played with guys that aren't like that. And when you are like that, if it is just about that one pursuit, it can one, be overwhelming, but two, at some point, you almost reach a breaking point where you're like, oh, I don't really love the game like I used to. Yeah, That's why you need sort of these other outlets. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, for me, it's podcasting. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> <laughs> it's, sorry, Bill. Uh, <laughs> no, but you do, you need these other outlets. You need these other pursuits. And like yeah. uh, our buddy, Adam Glessner, yeah. uh, who listens to every podcast, so I'll be happy he gets a shout out here. Uh, he's gonna- but he was talking about this with me the other, the other day after a game. And we were just talking about, I have to get obsessed with something and I master it. Mm-hmm. I figure out everything there is to know about it. Yeah. And then at some point I lose interest and then I go on to the next thing get obsessed with it, master it, right? And then go on to the next thing. So mm-hmm. he's, jo- you know, my thing now is like wine. Okay. And, you know, yeah, yeah. so he's like joking with me now, like, okay, in like two years, what is it going to be? But it's it's interesting because I at the end of the conversation, I said to him, the weird thing is like, this has been 27 years now of me trying to master something and I haven't lost interest. Yeah. Right. And, and talking about basketball. Mm-hmm. It's the one thing in my life, and, and I'm sure it's the same for you, where like it, there's still that inner desire to just go just go play. You just love it so much. Yeah. And it's like, it's not even, you know, some somebody listening would be like, well, you're getting paid millions of dollars. <laughs> you know, and like it's very true. But it's also, I think, the evolution of the game and understanding like where you know yourself where you're at in your career and how many years you have and i think like now you're you're starting to see like you're better you know what i mean than you were and your role like this is like amazing year for you and how you're playing and it's just those steps that you take so i I think even for me like like everybody's like man this summer when season's over you're gonna do the same type of training you did last summer i'm like yeah because like Every growth I have is it has come from going back to the drawing board and saying, like, this is where you can improve on and to come back. So there's different levels and there's different steps. Like if you were always on a losing team, you might lose that that feel. You know, yeah. you never made the playoffs. Yeah. Like you might be like, dang. And I think like for me, why I've been like s- successful is because a lot of these trades have put me in different circumstances and situations where you get, you get that new joy, you know, like yeah, I got traded yeah. here. I was like, wow. Like I felt like a rookie. I was like, dang, yeah. you know what I mean? Like 
this is a new new atmosphere, a new team. Like that type of sense is 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 a good feeling. Before we get to our final power rankings, how easy or how hard was it to turn down four for eighty last summer? That was a it was a move that I decided with with uh, with representation that we we felt like when we looked at the market and we looked at the cap, we looked at the available teams that would have, we thought it was a, a good investment move to do, you know, and that's kind of how we look at them. So it wasn't, I wouldn't say it was easy because at the end of the day, it's still $80 million, you know, like, <laughs> yeah. you know, but uh, I was kind of looking at, it's funny because like, you know, these sites, they have all these like rankings of free agent guys and, I was seeing my name on them and some of them had me like at the lower end of the list and I was just looking at all the guys before and I'm saying like, I don't even know why you guys have like a lot of these guys above me. But I looked at that list and I was like, I'm going to be at the top of that list, uh, especially for a power forward position, you know. Now, granted, there's guys that will always be at the top of the list because of the names and because there are there are some super, there are superstars on the list. Um but I, I said, you know, this is something that we're going to look at. We were happy that the Clippers had offered that. And a thing for me was we didn't want to get into a deal that later on could be another reason why you're traded like four <laughs> times again. You know what I mean? So, you know, that was like. <laughs> so you want to get a contract that is untradeable. I get it. No, I get not, it. Not untradeable. <laughs> You know, it's funny because they're going to trade in. It's like, man, we need no trade clause. Like the first time, you know what I mean? But it's yeah. like, you're not getting no trade clause. But yeah, so it wasn't nothing that, it, it took some thought to it, but I, I knew the work that I was putting in the summer and what I was gearing myself up for. And, you know, going into the season with the Clippers, I knew the role that I was going to have on that team. And that was a big, big factor into that. I wanted to ask you a little bit about, just about your if there was a different approach this past off season, knowing you'd be in a contract year, mm-hmm. because I think some guys maybe would have a completely different approach. And obviously there may be some things you do differently and, and whatnot, but um, I don't know. You just strike me as like the guy, the type of guy who would sort of have the same approach last summer as you will this summer, hopefully on yeah. a new five-year deal. Like it's just that continual pursuit of improvement. Yeah, that was my exact mindset like is that same type of approach same gritty attitude of the progression like you know I went to whether it's a contract year or the year you sign a contract or you know the second year in your contract I go on the same approach because I look at the times that I'm in right now is the times of growth like the times of continuing to improve the game each and every year so last summer I wouldn't even say it like this is the hardest summer I work. You know what I mean? It was like yeah. this was another summer of hard work. You know, so that's how I went into it. And there's a lot of hours, a lot of time, but it's very strategic in the way I work, how I get better. You know, I was telling James the other day because he was asking me like, "What do you work on the summer?" I was like, "I get in the lab and I work on all different things I see in the game." And when I play pickup, I don't play pickup with. A bunch of other NBA players. I'm playing with, you know, random players that obviously know how to play the college overseas guys, but I'm going to play with guys where I can go in that pickup 
and work on my game yeah. that I've been putting in. You know, I don't, yeah. I don't need you, to play it's with. Your, it's your test lap. Yeah, it's I don't need to play lap. with everybody yeah. else. Is going to be you don't want to go play pickup with a ball dominant player. I'm not going there. No, <laughs> like I, that, I, that would be a waste of cardio for me. You know what I mean? So I, you know, that's how I go about. It. Like I'm going to be in pickup if I'm going to be working on passing out pick and rolls, and me and that big, we're going to get get this thing done. You know. Yeah. You have had obviously a lot of teammates besides Bobby. Who's who's like who's your best who's your favorite teammate or, or or just the best teammate in general maybe that that you've had in your career? Yeah, I, I love being around DeAndre Jordan. Yeah, like, he's one of my all-time yeah. favorites too. You know, like yeah. when, when I always said, like when I was on uh, other teams, I was like, man, if, if I had a center like him, like, it'd be <laughs> great, you know. And then um, when I got traded to LA, I was like just very impressed with um, his work ethic how he took care of himself and what he put into like, like making sure his body was right. You know, he's the first guy at the arena. He like is one of the ultimate leaders. I met it might've been tough for him with the group that you guys were, but I know for us last year, he was one of those guys. I was like, man, like DJ's a leader, man. Like he's a, I would describe him as a connector. He yeah, connects people, right? He, does, he bridges sure. gaps. So like if there is, sort of maybe a click on a team or a couple clicks. Like yeah. He's sort of the bridge between yep. different facets. Maybe even just the bridge between the old heads and the young guys. Right? Exactly, he's, yeah. He's always sort of been, had that role, at least on the teams. I am mad that with. about him. I really like I, – yeah. I enjoy playing with him for 26 games. All right. Since you grew up in the Hamptons, I, <laughs> Chelsea and I – Chelsea and I are in the process of fi- finalizing our lease for uh, a little a little rental out there. For I think we're going to go out there again in July. You need a hookup? Uh, no, we got we're good. I just, right, uh, just I wanted awesome. to, I wanted to get your 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 Hamptons power rankings, your top three places to go in Hamptons. And I, I, I bet my three places are a little bit different than yours. You're going to name me your three places because I don't have three places. You don't have pl- you have one place? No, I don't. I like I told you. I'm not a Hampton guy, you know. Occasionally, I go out to Montauk, all right? But I don't. I couldn't tell you restaurants to go to in the Hamptons. Oh, okay. I was just talking about in general. One of the places I was going to talk about was this uh, this little farm, and they they built these these planes and and like trucks and uh, spaceships out of wood, and okay. you, and you pay like four dollars, and your kid goes, and they just get to play on this playground for like as long as they want. That's that's four one bucks. of my yeah four bucks a kid. Oh, it doesn't seem that. That's no, not bad. that's no, that's and like, it's like unlimited time. It's great. And last year they had at the end of the summer they had a maze in the cornfield, mm-hmm. which caused a uh, slight slight panic attack for me because <laughs> <laughs> my kids about halfway through the maze decided they didn't want to um they didn't want to walk anymore. So oh, I had to gosh. carry both of them through the maze, and they were terrified. But that was one of my favorite spots. <laughs> Sounds like you're from the Hamptons now. That's what I'm saying. I'm becoming an expert. You are, man. You know, ne- you'll be telling me places to go next. All right. Well, uh, I appreciate you coming on the podcast. It's been uh, a true honor. You know, this is something yeah. that I've dreamed to be a part of. When you set your goals at the beginning of the when season. I set my goals, I was like, man, I need to be on JJ's podcast. We need to talk about the trade that happened for me and him. But no, this has been a lot of fun. And I look forward to bringing you some more love on the podcast. If you want Boban, uh, you contact me and um, I'll give you his booking fee and we can get him on. Done. I appreciate you. Thanks, bro. (laughs) Yes, sir. (laughs) 
As always, thank you for listening to this week's episode of the JJ Reddick Podcast. Uh, I promise to have more episodes up soon, and hopefully there won't be a four-week gap in between episodes. Uh, As always, thank you guys for listening. If you have any questions or comments, hit up The Ringer, and I will speak to you guys soon. Thanks.